0: what's up everybody welcome welcome to the arts of data science happy hour happy hour number 92 and if you're listening on the podcast and you hear this crisp smooth voice no more airpods voice uh, that's because i'm back i'm back in my studio i'm so excited to be back here uh six months man it's been over six months since the um basement got flooded uh but i'm back i'm back just a few more finishing touches and this room will be complete but uh i'm excited to be here shout out to everybody that's uh joining us in the room vin what's going on jennifer good to see you again jennifer Makika, what's going on auntie jacob russell uh rashad christian how y'all doing man good to have you guys here good to see uh, a lot of old faces man it's been a uh, been a while since i've seen you jennifer good to, good to have you back um so uh, i just completed like a full full-on first week well last week i started at desi but i started like in the middle of the week on a wednesday uh but this was my first full week and um part of what i did for uh this week at the very beginning of this week was to come up with like a 90-day plan for myself 90-day plan to kind of um set myself up for success kind of doing doing uh doing the work before actually doing the work right planning out how i want things to go um and i think that's say a. a you know, a good topic to kind of kick off this happy hour with, uh, how do you onboard successfully for a new job? What are the steps that you should take uh, to onboard successfully? And let's, um, let's pivot this, not towards like the entry-level type of roles. Let's talk more about in leadership type of roles. Um, that's, that's kind of what I want to want to hear. Um, your thoughts on uh, let's go to uh Rashad, and uh, then after Rashad, we'll hear from Vin, and then maybe Russell, and then Jennifer. Whoever else wants to uh go, please let me know. Just use the uh hand raise icon, I'll call on you. Uh, if you're watching on LinkedIn, if you're watching on YouTube, or if you're here in the room and you have a question, do let me know. I will be sure to add your question to the queue. Uh, that being said, go for it, Rashad. Yeah, no problem. Firstly, nice
1: to be back. It's been a while since I've been on here, but uh. Starting off with an intense question, as always. Um, it, well, I can, I can say my last job, uh, I, so I, I joined. It was a startup-type environment. And um, there was someone, and so there was like 10 of us. And there was someone above us who had an idea of what should be done. And they basically immediately assigned me a thing to do. And uh, I was sort of skeptical that it was the best thing to do, right? So what I did, essentially, was I said, well, hold on. Because you, when you join and someone gives you an immediate task, you're like, oh, I should do it to impress them. But then you also want to make sure that you're not just spinning your wheels and doing random work. Uh, and so I essentially pushed back a little bit. I said, oh, I'm not sure if this is necessarily the best way to approach it. We ended up approaching it in a different way. And then two weeks later, that guy was, uh, that guy was fired. Um, because apparently he didn't do much. I was like, "What the? Where have I entered? What have I? What kind of environment have I joined?" Um, so that was that was my first time joining as a like in a senior level capacity. Uh, in my current job, I it was a lot less ruckus, um, even though it was still early stage. I essentially joined and I basically I started talking to people to understand their different challenges, sort of the landscape, uh, and So I think some of those early meetings with people, so they at least know who you are, uh, are very important. And then when you do that, to ask really good questions. Um, So I think asking good questions, rather than coming in like a bulldozer and being like, I know your solution. I know the answer to everything. That's probably pretty important. Um, Oftentimes, there is sort of entrenched organizational perspectives. And you want to get a sense of those different perspectives, sort of like the main axes of conflict relatively quickly uh, that's probably a mistake i've made every time and looking back i would do that a little differently so that i could better understand okay um, what strategy should i come up with to operate in this environment uh, because you could do things it's, it's a little different than just here's your ticket now go to work um, if you don't understand the the pros and cons what'll happen is you'll you'll do something and then people will be like well oh, that's not really what i want where you'll encounter resistance and you'll be and you'll wonder, where did that come from? I have no clue. Uh, so trying to understand in the beginning where those conflicts are, like this group thinks this and that group thinks that, that's probably the most important thing I would tell my younger self. And you do that through conversations with senior level people and people on the ground floor doing the hands-on work and asking good questions to understand those sources of, of conflict and what they care about.
0: Thank you very much, Rashad. Appreciate that. Uh, let's hear from uh, Vin. And then um, after Vin, let's hear from uh, let's hear from Jennifer, then Makiko, and whoever else wants to uh, chime in, please do let me know. I'll uh, add you to the queue. Uh, go for Vin.
2: So you're talking about from a leadership perspective?
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's say you've just started a role and maybe you're at the manager or above level where, um, you know, you, you don't necessarily have like tasks really maybe handed down to you, but you kind of have to pave your own way.
2: You know, it's interesting, depending upon what level you're in, onboarding, like the business onboards you <laughs> at, I'd say the junior VP level and below, and you onboard the business at the VP and senior level. Like You, you get hired because you've submitted a vision or a hundred day plan or something where the company says, you're the best person to take us through whatever it is that we're going through right now. And so from an organizational standpoint, or even sometimes like at the C-suite standpoint, you're brought in and you onboard the business, even though you get the lay of the land and you definitely get to know people, you've done your research up front and then you take the job because you know what's going on and you know what needs to happen. And it's very interesting that at a lower level, you can't come in, you know, guns blazing, here's what we're going to do. But at a higher level, at some point you are expected to come in and say, "Okay, I understand the problems that we're having, and here are my vision. Here are you know the purpose of why we're going to do these things. Here are the changes that I'm going to help you make. Here's a and you know and then you begin to work with other organizations, work with other people. And so I think that's the at some point in your career you're going to be brought in because you have experience fixing." or you have experience with growth like CEOs will sometimes be brought in to take a business from a certain revenue point to a certain revenue point or to grow into a certain segment. You'll have people brought in for take over a data science organization who will take it from one size to the next size, or, who can help, help it learn how to deliver certain projects and certain uh, product lines. And so that's really, even at the lower level, when you're gonna have to be onboarded by the business, always understand and do the same type of research that you would if you're coming in as the chief data and analytics officer or chief data scientist, and figure out why you're being brought in, why you, why you for this team. What is it that this team is transitioning from and to that you have specific experience with? And that's going to not only help you land the job, but also during that onboarding time, you're going to be way more successful because you're going to be asking the right questions, building the right relationships, getting to, I mean, cause it's easy to know, okay, that's my boss. That's my team. Or those are the leaders under me. And these are their teams. You know, the, the org chart stuff's simple. It's, who else do I have to network with that the last person in this job didn't? You know, Why did they leave? What did they fail at? Why did they get fired? Or did they get promoted? Okay, what kind of mess did they leave for me? It really is all about what change am I leading at, that, at any level of leadership, really. Management, I'd say the lowest expectation of change, but in data teams, sometimes a manager reports to the CTO. So you could be the person. And that's, the, that's really what to think about is, are you coming in to onboard the business? Is the business onboarding you? And what changes are you expected to lead? And how are you going to do that? I mean, what's your plan? What's your 90-day plan? What's your... Because in a leadership role, it's not so much them giving you. It's really you giving them. This is my 90-day plan. This is what we're going to do talking to your next level leadership, whether that's a VP or C-level and saying, okay, so this is my plan. What do you think? What am I too assertive on? Who am I going to run into? What kind of politics am I about to walk through? And it's really before you start doing, instead of saying, okay, and this is, and we're going to do all of it. It's really, here's my plan. What do you think? And getting other people's opinions and buy-in, they're going to tell you the culture. They're going to tell you who's going to hate it and who's going to love it there's going to, they're going to tell you who thought they should have your job. That happens a lot where, yeah, you know, there's two people that thought they were having your job and then you showed up. (laughs) Who are those? Sometimes it's even, you know, who do you have to fire or who do you have to bring in in the first 30 days in order to set yourself up for success? It's a plan's critical.
0: Vin, thank you very much. Yeah. I've been, um, I spent, you know, couple days this week just just doing the the 30-day plan and i dedicated the first like real two weeks just to learning the business uh just going like you know for developer relations i got to understand not only uh the product that we have but also the, the people using the the product our competitors what the market's like um where are we in the market what what's our messaging what's our positioning like and i just been taking that time just to to learn and uh absorb and it's something i didn't do in my last role um last role i just kind of put me into something. And I was like, do all these things. Um, and it was really just that disconnect that, um, that I don't think helped set me up for for success there, but um, I'd love to hear some more thoughts. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Jennifer Makiko. If you are are around, I'd love to hear from you uh, as well. Uh, go for it, Jennifer. Good to see you again, I, by the way.
1: Good to see you guys. I really Vin and Richard covered so much of what I had written down out of the shoot, hit the one-on-ones, Meet with everyone, talk to everyone, know where you're going, but in sort of a listening, what do you think about things mode? Because the
3: politics are the hardest thing to navigate and to elegantly elicit from others, and then deliver, 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 deliver.
0: I like that elegantly elicit. <laughs> uh, let's go to uh, let's go to Makiko and then Russell.
4: sorry i'm you know hot mess eating friday woo tjf um yeah i'm just gonna echo along with like Ben's point like when a leader doesn't like when a leader comes in and they're kind of loosey-goosey and they're like yeah we don't really know what we're doing we don't know what we really want that's when the ICs and the directors are like go on linkedin go find some recruiters because um there's like a difference between sorry i also have smooth jazz in the background it's okay hot mess hot mess friday Um, it's a new thing, right, Um, but there's a difference between knowing the vision versus, like, the tactics, right, like, tactics should not be done necessarily the first two weeks, like, you should not be doing that work, but you should have a vision and outcome, and more importantly, like, building up the relationships and understanding what's on the ground, because, like, a lot of times, too, like, for example, you'll see, like, really senior people are being brought in because they're friends with like the ELT right so they're being told something else we can pretend cronyism doesn't happen but it does Um, but also too like if you work really effectively with someone in the past on a high stakes project you're going to want to work with those same people and not take a risk on a nobody right but they have like a certain directive versus like what they will hear the first couple days like you know working with the other directors and all that So I would say like a leader that doesn't come in with a vision or what they want to get out of it or an understanding, that's like a big, big red flag. Um, But there is like that sort of bridge between like, I have a vision at the same time, I am willing to work with people here on figuring out how exactly to execute that successfully versus I have a vision and I'm going to do what I want. And that's like the biggest way to kind of not get buy-in very early on. Um, for people who are more like on the technical leadership staff it's going to be a little bit different the advice i think is still don't do work the first two weeks um but also for a lot of the technical leadership people shut up and listen like honestly that would be the best onboarding and also like assume good intent it's a really really big one right like at the end of the day. We all, we all have issues with like legacy software. The people who operate legacy software hate it. No one loves it, but it was there. It got the company to a purpose, right? So I think that's like, those are really kind of the common things. It's like, shut up and listen, have a vision, be willing to work with people. Um, and then honestly, they'll kind of just tell you their problems, it's really great.
0: Thank you very much, Makiko. Let's go to uh, Russell.
5: Thanks, Alfred. Um So I'd split it up into into kind of different increments. Firstly, I'd split out tactical from strategic. Uh, and by tactical, I mean the things that directly relate to you as an employee for the company. Even if you're senior, there's going to be some prerequisites that need to be done. You know, uh, sort out how your, you know, your your salary is going to be paid to which bank account. Uh, uh, learn the systems for booking absences and all that type of stuff. And you know even if you're going to have a um an assistant that's going to help with some of that stuff make sure that that relationship is fully understood because once you start to get into the business you'll never have more time than we will have at the start to get all of that stuff buttoned down then move on to the strategic stuff that's more to do with the relationship of the business uh, and start with a soft onboarding so maybe take the first 30 days of those 90 days to be going introduce yourself to everyone in the business, tell them you're having a a soft start, you've just joined the business, you're not actively tackling any problems at the moment, you're just understanding the business, and let them know it's a perfect time for them to give you their breakdown of their opinion of the business and try and absorb as much knowledge as you can from everyone in that 30 days. But then perhaps also say, whilst it's a a soft um, onboarding, if there are any critical things that that, uh, do crop up, let let the you know as soon as possible. You know it's not that you're refusing to do things, but you're taking the time to to have this soft onboarding and then start to ramp up um, from day thirty through to day ninety to 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 pick up the important things. But absolutely, as Vin and uh, Jennifer um, has mentioned, uh, and Mickey also absorb as much knowledge from the uh, f- from the experience of the business as you possibly can. And um, yeah, once you get that from everybody, you, you should be able to tell if you get. Um, enough information from all of them if there are uh, areas of the business where there's more resistance to some certain things perhaps if you have some problem stuff etc you might not need other people to tell you that but you know look at everything broad spectrum as a, as a complete entity from all of the feedback you get from the business and then um, then build your strategic um, way forward for day day 30 day 90 and onwards
0: Russell thank you very much. Uh let me guys let me let me know if you guys have any questions uh either on LinkedIn or on YouTube happy to take your questions or right here in the chat uh happy to take your questions as well. Got a question here on LinkedIn from Singita. um uh I'll try to make the question as general as possible but she's saying uh sometimes she gets bogged down with so many resources. Uh she really enjoys solving NLP problems. Uh also enjoys doing developer advocacy. Um and she's saying uh where would it take on developer advocacy? Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question, but the second half of the question sounds very clear. Uh, what's your input towards really enjoying uh, learning new technologies without extra pressure? Um, let's just go ahead and make that last part the, the actual question that we're we'll we'll talk about right now. Uh, how do you how do you learn new technologies? How do you make the uh, practice of learning new technology technologies uh, enjoyable? Um, that's a good question, man. I mean, it, it, there's so many tools out there in data science, machine learning. So many tools. Um, I think the part you're saying here, getting bogged down with so many resources, so many tools, um, it, don't don't believe everything you read on a job description. All those like technologies and tools, like you don't have to learn all of them. Uh, so I think that's step one towards, um, you know, getting a sense of of enjoyment uh, is just don't feel like you have to learn everything. Um, and then once you do, you know, narrow down a list of things that look actually interesting to you, just go through the hello world and, and just be curious, be open-minded. Don't get you know frustrated. Hopefully some of these products have a um, a smooth developer experience, uh, and and it makes that process enjoyable, but, um, that, would be my advice. I'll, I'll just stop there. Just don't think that you have to learn, um, to do everything all at once uh, let's go to rashad for this because uh, rashad uh, knows all about finding joy so go for it for it
1: yeah sure uh i know exactly how you feel well i think i do because <laughs> i only hear this question over text but it's a very common thing uh and a lot of people including in myself and i remember uh before i got my first data science job i really wanted to work in music uh you know spotify or something so i wanted to learn audio machine learning but uh, it was just a little advance for me as a beginner. Um, <laughs> and, that, and I made it stressful. And I was trying to do a side project because I heard, oh, you should have a side project to prove your excellence, right? But uh, the things I had to learn to do it were I, I set myself such a high scope. And the perfectionism of not wanting to show something that's something on like the internet that was not perfect uh, kept me from doing very much. So I kept learning, learning, learning. I never did anything with it, uh, or very little. And it was very stressful, and I would recommend doing the opposite of what I did back then. Um, so now, looking looking at tech I've enjoyed learning, tech I've not enjoyed learning, the main thing for me was that I start with a problem in mind. So you could you could start from just oh what's interesting and go learn that. For example, you could also look at a job description, see the enormous list like Harpreet said, and, you know you could feel overwhelmed or you could just pick one of the things and start. Uh, I think you could be a little more strategic with it. there's a couple of heuristics you could use. For example, you find five jobs that you think sound really cool. perhaps it's a specific industry, a specific kind of data you're working with, or something something that draws you to those specific things and you have a pretty good reason why. I would find the overlapping skills and probably start there. If I were starting from scratch, there's just sort of like the skills you need to get in the door. Um, and then I would probably, after that, pick one skill that might make you stand out. Maybe something they list under the nice to have. Uh, usually, some sort of knowledge of the industry itself will make you stand out. Um, just because you know you have the same mach- same machine learning techniques, but so many different industries. That the closer you can get to the industry listed in a description or a set of descriptions, the more you'll stand out. And that's a very efficient, I think, use of of your time. Um, with the with having a problem in mind thing. I would say having a specific side product or goal, making it very uh, concrete. I want to like work backwards, kind of like Amazon does. When, when they think about launching a product, they'll start with uh, writing a fake letter from the customer that's really happy with this product. And then they work backwards from that to, OK, what should we do about it? I would work backwards and then figure out what skills you need to deliver a thing. And that makes it a lot more enjoyable because, Instead of procrastinating like I did, you'll end up learning something that's very specific and applied. You'll apply it and you'll feel good about yourself that you used your knowledge. You you won't feel fake. Do I actually understand this? Do I know this? No, you you did, you used it, right? So I I would I would suggest working backwards from some sort of deliverable, either even if it's something you make up yourself. And then also be strategic about what that is by finding overlapping jobs you like and then.
0: Focusing on the most common skill first. Rashad, thank you so much. Uh, Sangeeta, hopefully that that uh, answered your question. Um, we'll do a quick uh, count to three to see if anybody else has something to, to add on to this. Uh, three, two, one note. So let's go ahead and go do a Jacob's question, by the way, if you're watching on LinkedIn or on YouTube. And you got questions, do let me know right there in the chat. Uh, Jacob go for
2: it yeah um thanks um sorry can you hear me
0: yeah yeah i can hear you loud and clear.
2: um so mine is pertaining the first question you asked um so I, i've been working as a data analyst for close to like 18 months now and um, i
5: happen to manage data team so the business is taking a new turn and i'm told to be more strategic and
2: taking um be more initiative so um i would say i've never had like a manager you know to work under say for like six months i think that's like the longest time i've worked under somebody so it's a bit um dreadful because i'm more of a technical person not a business-minded person so that's going kind to of my challenge so um so how do i move from being technical to being a business-minded person trying to help them scale up a business
0: yeah, I think this one is a perfect question for, for Vin because Vin has a course on uh, essentially strategy for for technical thinkers or data scientists. Um, so let's go to Vin. Also, by the way, shout out to the uh, new folks that joined. Uh, Kathy, good to see you. Nuffy and Vivian, uh, good to see you all. If you guys got questions or comments, you know what to do. Uh, Vin, go for it.
2: Yeah, I think first, always make sure what they mean by strategic a lot of times the your manager will throw that word out because somebody told your manager, we, meet, we need to be more strategic about how we use data. We need to be more strategic about how we use AI. And so they went and literally took the piece of paper and handed it to you. So that's the first thing is get some context. Think about how you're gonna phrase that question because you can't really come back and say, okay, define strategy but just ask you know what's the objective that's a good way of phrasing it what are you what would change as far as my deliverables the outcomes are you just looking for me to give you some more value and then realize that at the very beginning strategy is just another word for value so if you look at how does the business create value why does it create it that way how does the business get money from customers why does it do it that way you're going to figure out pretty quickly that strategy is a lot of that type of call and response you know some question about value and then why some question about value and then why and you're going to eventually get that get to the point where you do that with your projects where you say okay we're going to do this it's going to produce this value now why are we doing it and eventually you'll reverse it when you go from thinking tactically to thinking strategically You'll start saying, okay, why are we doing data? Why are we doing data science? Why are we doing analytics? Where does it fit in the business? Where does the business need it to fit? Why does this support core strategy? Why does this support goals? Will this lead to, and this is one of my, something that the CEO of Disney said, you know, they were very focused on shareholder value and creating value for shareholders and will this you know result in shareholder value and once you get to that point where you go how does this project make cash for the business or return value to shareholders investors depending upon your public private startup it'll be a different intended audience but at the end of the day it's really there's a business impact that the person that owns the business will tangibly feel they'll be happy about it. They might take you to dinner for it. If they, if they find out that you were part of it and that's where you want to start aiming. And that's really strategy at the very beginning is that concept of value. Why are we doing that? And then reversing the con, you know, the concept of, instead of we could do this, so we will, we could make money. So we will beginning with why, and then moving forward to saying, okay, Understand the goals. Understand why. Now let's figure out what we should be doing, and then you're thinking strategically. All of a sudden, that, that's that's business acumen in uh, three minutes. One of
0: the things I could find hard is like knowing not only who to ask why, but like how to ask why without without I don't know feeling stupid without well, without because if I go with somebody and say, "Hey, why do we want to do data?" And it, I'm just going to think their immediate response is going to be, well, that's why we hired you to go figure out why we need data. I guess, how do you kind of navigate those?
2: Yeah. I got to, I got to jump in. Okay. Whatever you do, don't ask your CEO why, because (laughs) they will kill you. (laughs) Like that's the end of your career right there. If you go to your CEO and go, why? So why are we uh, selling these products? Because it's either one, they're worried that you don't know, or two, they don't know and they're scared that you're asking them, there's no way to win that question. So it's, and when I say ask why, it's really, you're asking yourself this and you're usually in the best position in the business to understand the answer and to quantify the answer. And in many cases you'll realize, okay, we shouldn't be doing this. There's actually a better opportunity. There's a better option. And that's where you as a data scientist can add a lot of value to the business. It's just really helping the business understand itself and give them some tools to do things better. But yeah, when I said why, I, yeah, I didn't mean outside with the outside voice. I'm sorry. I, did, I should have said that.
0: Thank you very much, man. Uh, let's, uh, let's hear from Rashad and then Mikiko. Uh, some good comments from Mikiko. Mikiko says, it's almost like asking, why did you think that was a good outfit to wear? Uh, never gonna answer to that. I like that Makiko. Uh, let's go to Rashad and then let's hear from Makiko after that. And uh, by the way, if anybody else wants to uh, jump in on this and, and provide some insight, please uh, do feel free to uh, to do that. And Jacob, um, you know, let me know if you need any further clarification at all too. Uh, Rashad, go for it.
1: Uh, yeah, Ben's answer was, was great. I'll just say uh, if you're confused where to start with that, I mean, revenue and cost is a good place to start. Uh, remember, now, if you're already hired, I would assume you would know about that to some extent already. But um, if you're working with someone new, you can start uh, like all the like all the management consulting interviews. All right, well, what are the biggest drivers of revenue, and what are the biggest drivers of cost? And okay, why do you focus there and not this other thing? And uh, yeah, it, you just and you just that's like sort of the why train. Then it can get there. But basically, they give you an answer, and then you say, okay, well, what is that? What does that do? And um what are you not doing? Right. Because a lot of strategies, what you're not doing, or well, we're gonna focus on high-end hotels, we're not gonna focus on economy hotels. Why? Well, we have a manager where we are history, we understand them better, we understand how they work, and we think we can get X percent more margin, and um, you know, we have access to these locations and stuff like you know, there's all sorts of reasons why it could be the, the talent, it could be the technology, it could be their processes or or legacy or who they acquired. It. There's all sorts of reasons why they do one thing or the other. But if you just keep asking, then you'll start to, when you get each answer, maybe one thing you could do is to brainstorm, okay, well, given that, I wonder how data science can help with that. Okay, if that's driving revenue, then maybe we could do projects related to this, 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 and this. And you start to come up with ideas. And I guess that's one heuristic <laughs> to think strategically, uh, to think strategically thinking bigger picture this work backwards from the biggest things that people care about rather than forwards from where you are now i'd say that just being like okay here's a random idea that's like the opposite of being strategic It's really working backwards from from goals and understanding constraints and the constraints of most businesses are revenues and costs so a good default
0: rashad thank you so much uh navi let's hear from you
3: Um, sorry, so I think when that that question actually comes up a lot in the work I do, and usually that's another form of saying, Hey, the reports that you are doing, I don't know what to do with them. At least that's like in my world, that's kind of the lingo for, Hey, what do I do with all these reports that are coming to me? So sometimes it's a question that you know somebody a little bit higher up is thinking, and it's valid that. I'm getting all these reports. I just don't know what does that mean for me? So sometimes it's kind of a nice place for you to step back and say, hey, let me just kind of get an inventory list of what's going on and what is you know, the value of that. Um, and it's a it's it's a valid, valid question. If they're saying let's be strategic, that means hey, if I'm sending out 20 reports and they're only using three of them, maybe I don't need 20 reports, you know. Um, so it's one of the exercises that I'm currently doing. I'm, um where I'm working with like a bunch of clients across spread across different countries, and there's just a ton and ton of reporting. And Uh, Right now, I'm just kind of staring at it at this point to see like, what does that even mean? Um, So I I think it's a valid question. Sometimes we just kind of need to pause and think about, you know, where am I going with this? So, you know, take your time to think about it.
0: Thank you, Navi. Vin says in the comments here, keep asking questions until you find one they cannot answer, then provide data that helps answer it. I like that. Uh, Makiko, let's hear from you.
4: Sorry, now like it went to the wrong camera. I, uh, this live streaming thing's not gonna go well next week. Um, oh, Harpreet, oh, there you are, okay. Um, yeah, I just wanted to recommend some books because I feel like when I was learning kind of, I feel like a lot of times the hardest, what was hard for me becoming like an IC that interface a lot with like business partners or key stakeholders like on the business side was not understanding like the business model So I always love asking the question to my business partners, hey, like, you know, what books are you reading, Um, you know, that like help you with your job and that help inform your work, Um, especially when I was dealing with like sales and customer success and marketing. So this is honestly one of my all time favorite books of all time. And I can't believe you guys can see my background. Everything is wrong today. I had a Zoom background, but um, this one's my favorite book, Lean Analytics. Um, it's like within the Lean Startup series, but it literally talks about all the key metrics like within the different major business models, which I really like. Uh, it's very like surface level, so you know it's not going to go deep into like finance financial metrics. But I really love it, and you can see it's been really well loved and used and highlighted. And then the other couple, the other two books that. They're kind of the same, to be honest, but they're, you know, it's not bad to pick up is a guide to analyzing companies from HBR. Uh, It's like a mini MBA book, but a little bit better written. And then this one's guide to financial management. So it's more like the finance principles of like companies. So those are really great. And I think anytime I went into like a new field, Like I just, I really try to familiarize myself with like what my partners were thinking of in terms of metrics and the problems they're trying to solve. So whether it was like supply chain, SNOP planning, sales management, real estate, finance, all that. I feel like that helped me a lot. Um, So those are just some book recommendations if people are interested, Um, yeah. In terms of at least building the intuition of the business model and like the metrics and
0: things like that. Thank you very much, Makiko. And um, by the way, I interviewed one of the authors of Lean Analytics, Alistair Kroll, uh, way back in the day. So definitely uh, check that episode out, um, Alistair Kroll on the Arts of Data Science podcast. Another book I'd recommend is uh, How to Measure Anything. Um, that's a really, really good book by Douglas Hubbard, um, who's actually on my podcast as well. Got an episode with, with him where we just talk about literally how to to measure these unmeasurable things. A uh, really good book um a lot of lot of math and stats in that book if if you're into that um highly recommend it. um so don't see any other questions you know Makiko you flashed a lot of books up there like just books after books after books and i'm wondering like you know speaking about reading books like how how do you handle all that information like that's like that's one thing i've been really trying to deal with uh, or trying to find a system to put in place over the last couple of months is uh, just changing my relationship to information because there's a ton of information out there. And you know, I don't know how many times I, I see something, I'm like, oh damn, that looks like an awesome article. Let me open a tab and read it later. Or damn, I'm gonna, you know, put this in my saved bookmarks on on Medium and come back and read it later. And none of those tabs ever get read. I end up with like a hundred tabs open of things that I intend to read. I have dozens upon dozens of you know bookmark articles on on medium that i never get to read and um i'm just wondering how do you handle this this uh just barrage i don't know if barrage is the right word deluge of uh, information uh let's let's hear from mikhigo and then after that if anybody else has some tips um do let me know and if you know if anyone's interested i can kind of share my system and what i've been doing uh, recently uh go for mikhigo
4: yeah, it kind of harkens back to like our, our mentoring days together, right? Where I just go like, oh, this book, this book, <laughs> Um Yeah, I mean, like even right now, like my reading, um, I guess productivity level has not been great, mainly because I'm spending so much time reading like really super technical like O'Reilly books or honestly nonsense politicking on Slack. So that takes emotional energy that honestly leaves me drained of reading, um, but I think part of it is also knowing like knowing what information you need to have at the time and I think that goes back to that earlier question of like how do you feel good about learning like I used to get all very sort of obsessive about creating a learning plan for myself and that honestly stressed me out because it was almost like when you frame up all the things you don't know in a way that's very consumable um it gets very easy to see how little you kind of know I guess, and can kind of consume. So I kind of feel like it's super important, like you need like a portfolio of learning, right? I would say like, you know, let's say for example, 20 to 30 or 40% of your portfolio, if you're like, um, like in a working IC, for example, should maybe be new stuff. Like another 30% should be like really firming down like foundations. It's almost like you're doing maintenance or operational work where you're filling the gaps. And the other three or 40% or however remaining is left should be like things that are immediately relevant like to one's job. And that's how I kind of view it. And it's like, I try not to, I don't know, like it's one of those things that I I don't necessarily love about social media is I do feel like a lot of influencers they paint an incredibly rosy picture of their lives. Like I'm able to accomplish all like 10, 20 X things. And it's like, but they're doing it full time. Like, if I had a full-time, like, for example, Alex the analyst, right? He had that video with Kenji where he's like, I get one hour to YouTube. He's also got, like, 300,000 subscribers. Um, He occasionally does courses and all that. But he's got three kids, two dogs, two cats, and I think a whole lot of other animals. Um, And and his wife, you know, stays at home and takes care of the kids, right? So he's only got so much time. And he's just kind of accepted that, like, there's just certain things he's just not going to get to. So it's kind of the same thing with like the earlier question of like, how do you keep learning fun? It's like, realize that you're going to be imperfect. You're not going to be the smartest kid in the block. Honestly, there's a 15 year old right around the corner. um, That's just probably going to kick everyone's butt anyway. So let's just kind of keep improving from where we are. And the other aspect too is like visual learning. Like I'm starting to take all my notes, draw them out and all that. Um, I try to get to it when I can, but you know, it like, it is what it is. Right. So that's, I think just more the advice. Cause I haven't, for example, these guys, I haven't revisited in years, but I remember them. I tried to really learn it deeply at that time. And I can refer back to it, but I haven't like actually opened these up in like five years since leaving the business side of the house. So yeah, I don't honestly, harpy I'm amazed that you're like reading like productivity. I'm like, for me, it's like, if, if i can get through like let's say 50 60 pages a week of like technical stuff I, I feel like that's that's a win um but yeah it's definitely not whole books like a month anymore
0: yeah it's it's definitely tough um uh, i'll talk about my system in a little bit if we got like you know time whatever but if anybody wants to share theirs i'd love to hear uh how you you do it rashad let's hear let's hear from you and then it looks like vin has a question so um after Rashad, I'll kind of show what my system is and we'll get into uh, Vin's uh, question. And if anybody has tips on how they manage their relationship with information, uh, let us know whether you're in the chat or you know, if you want to uh, unmute and talk to us here.
1: There's, um, so I think of learning as the, there's you can bring it in two sections, I guess. There's the system side, sort of how you organize it. And then there's the enjoyment side. And uh, you want to make sure that you enjoy the systems that you set up. Um, I think a lot of times people who are very ambitious to learn will try to set up systems that they've pulled from other people. Uh, and oh, I'm gonna do this and read 60 books a year or something like that. And then they end up uh, not really liking it. And you know, partly it it's maybe you're forcing yourself into a mold uh, learning in a way that you don't actually enjoy. So uh, I've also gone through this journey over time and um, I think for me, part of the learning has to be structured and goal oriented, uh, and that's like a lot of what's that you know what you do at work. For example, um, I'm reading papers now about uh, reconciling grouped and hierarchical time series right now, like different methods and updates. You know, getting latest up to date on that so is a requirement for our project. That's very goal oriented, and it's fun because well. Essentially, you you know, you know skim a bunch of papers, and then you say, okay, I think this one is the most relevant because of XYZ caveats, and then you're, okay, is there an implementation? Can I implement it like that? So there's some sort of action bias. But if I were to only do structured, goal-directed learning, I would hate it. I would procrastinate on it. I know this because I, I have. Um, and so I realized I need some unstructured learning, too, and that has to be a lot broader. Uh, often, it has to be serendipitous. That's part of the reason I enjoy being on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn, following a wide variety of people, because sometimes I'll I'll read something, I'll see something and think, oh, I never thought of it that way, or I never even thought that this was a thing. It's sort of like um, there's this vast world of unknown unknowns, things you don't even know you don't know. And it's really fun for me personally to encounter that and make it a known unknown and then think, okay, do I wanna learn something about that more? Um, So there's that joy of discovery. Um, in addition to the goal stuff. So I'd say make sure you probably need some room for both. So make sure that your system, whatever you use, um, incorporates that emotional aspect. And you can always audit is my learning system good? You know, uh, one simple thing I've been doing lately with my goals is just rating one to 10, how I feel about a system I use, like, say, a system to get into the flow state, a system for learning, or whatever. And if it's not 10, which it not isn't, I'll think, okay, what's one idea I could use to improve it? And you can iterate over time to improve that system. And I found that doing that, it compounds actually. You end up with a system that you quite enjoy. I enjoy mine currently. It could probably have better structures. And that's the advice that you guys are giving. But I'd say make sure you also focus on the enjoyment side. What's optimal for others may not be optimal for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely agree with that. That point about what's optimal for others. Like there's I'm a self-help junkie, dude. I'm consistently just trying to be better you know because i've spent so much time not being that great i'm trying to be better uh so i'm always looking for for ways to to improve myself and um part of that just means being curious about a number of different things so the way i've started is just picking a few areas in life that i just want to focus on right and then ignoring everything else until i'm bored with those areas in life Um, so for, for me, like, you know, those areas that I, that I focus on are, you know, developer relations and within developer relations is how do I create a good strategy? How do I build community? How do I, you know, create good content? How how do I become a better marketer to developers? Um, the next area for me is philosophy, uh, and then deep learning, specifically computer vision. Um, you know, trying to, that's a huge part of our product offering. That's something I've got to get good at is, is computer vision. Um, and then, you know, i listen to a bunch of podcasts. How do I learn from those podcasts? How do I take what I've learned and put it into action? Um, and then also, you know, personal personal growth. Um, so what I've done is, you know, taking taken bits of this system, you know, building a second brain. I'm just going to share something on my screen real quick. Uh, if you guys don't mind. Um, share my entire desktop here. Um, so I use something... Uh, called obsidian. I use this as my second brain, so it's a personal knowledge management thing. and um essentially, how I have my life split up is you know i I follow this method called P-Para, para p a r a so um you know what active projects am I working on? uh what are the areas in life that I'm you know focusing on at the moment, and then everything else that's not related to the areas in life or just you know other stuff I put into resources, uh, and then archive is just stuff that I've, I've moved on from um, and it starts by first figuring out what these areas are that I care most about in life at the moment, and then capturing just whatever I capture that's, that's, that I'm reading, just making sure that I at least put 30 to 45 seconds of due diligence before I add it to my queue. And when I add it to my queue, I use something called matter. Uh, so you'll see here, I've got subscription, I've got Vince newsletter sent here, all my subscriptions for newsletters come here. Um, and I'm bad at keeping up on newsletters but I've got like a reading queue as well and then here's all the stuff that that I'm currently uh coming across that um that relate to those areas that I'm most focused on um and then what I'll do is I'll, I'll just like highlight stuff from that and when I highlight stuff it goes automatically it syncs into my second brain into um you know uh this this inbox and I'll have uh you know highlights uh, no, I'm obviously a poker player uh <laughs> That's one area in life that is uh never gonna change. But um capturing notes, then distilling it down. So for example, here is an example of me uh coming up with my 90 day plan. Like here, I took a bunch of notes and uh distilled down the notes with some takeaways, uh, and then built my own kind of 90 day plan from that. So um just coming up with a system that that works that uh, it's been quite helpful, but I will stop there. Let's go ahead and get into uh to to Vin's question.
2: It's kind of simple, but I think it's maybe a complicated answer.s Is anybody afraid of getting laid off right now? And you know, if it's a yay or an a, why? You know, if you're not afraid of it, what what's giving you the confidence that your job's good, safe, you know, stable? And if you are worried about it, what is it? You know what's the thing that's concerning you most? Obviously, if you can talk about it, I don't mean I don't mean to get into internal company politics, but you know what is it just broadly that's got you worried?
0: I swear. like I'm in a constant state of wondering if I'm gonna get fired. <laughs> not not because of like I'm not doing a good job, but it's just that's just how i how I am. Like the moment I get it the moment I get a job offer, I'm just like, oh shit, they' are probably gonna leave me off or something. So uh, I mean, all jokes aside, um. I, I currently don't, I'm not really afraid of, of getting laid off in this, in this current role just because I feel like I've developed a unique skill set, right? Not only am I technically proficient, um, I've also got selling skills to a certain extent, like, you know, non-technical hard skills. Like I'm pretty decent at marketing. I'm uh, kind of learning that a lot and I'm kind of decent at writing. So, you know, I can both build and sell. And I feel like the combination of those two skills are um Kind of hard to replace, um, but I'm wondering as well. Like, but uh, anybody wants to uh, chime in, let me know. Um, let's go to Makiko. Uh, shout out to Joe Reese. Joe Reese is in the building. Good to see you, Joe Reese. Also, Alexis has joined us. Good to see you as well.
4: Uh, so, my big concern is just how ridiculous sometimes the engineering interviews are. That's that's legitimately kind of the only like thing. But even then, it's like as long as I steer clear of the fangs, I'm actually pretty good. Like when I was struggling with the technical interviews, one of my mentors was just like, just don't do them. And I'm like, what do you mean? Just like, don't do them. Like, just say, I'm not going to. They're like, yeah, just say, you're not going to. Um, And then the minute recruiter says that there's a technical screen, just tell them no. And then just tell them why. I'm like, okay, like, let's see if I actually have a job. And I'm getting three job offers for, you know, like senior ish ml ops roles um had another two or three like fang interviews where i was like "Ah, i don't know if i really care to do it um all that jazz i think like once you get beyond like it's like it really is i think once you get to senior it becomes so much easier than when you're entry level and then even then it then becomes more of a like do you want to sell your soul for potentially um doing like micro work or do you want kind of broader scope but maybe a little bit less money or do you want to go into like management or what have you um because it was interesting because Shopify had a huge layoff the the week that Matt Sharp was hired and I was like are you okay dude he's like yep doing great data engineer right they if they like lay us off then you know that's like real bad news for the company so I think if you're on business partner teams I feel like it's a little bit more concerning or if you're just doing like work that could be easily automated by a python script but for everything else especially if you deal with systems i kind of feel like as long as people keep their skills up to date it's okay but some of the like engineering interviews are just really ridiculous what they ask for that's like my only stress is i'm like okay what if just luck of the draw it's all companies that only want to do tech screens how do i serve i don't know do i deal or whatever
0: uh, Rashad, let's hear from you. Rashad, reading Snow Leopard. Uh, that is on my wish list by uh, the category Pirates. Uh, one of which is uh, what's his name's N- Nicholas Cole. Cole, uh, yeah, yeah. I- I love his stuff. Uh, but go for it.
1: Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so afraid of afraid of lions. Well, I'm not particularly afraid in in our uh, situation. So I'm part of the Blackstone family, and we're uh, yeah. doing very well. They, they keep buying shit. <laughs> Um, to put it lightly. And uh, they, the way they think about things, is they call it high conviction, but it basically means that they've thought that in the long run, that the outlook for the things they buy is very high. Um, it's very, very good from evaluations and cash flow, depending on the type of investment. So, uh, whatever their conviction is, uh, it seems to be working well for them. And our portfolio company, like we're, we're growing, and we have so many data engineering openings. In particular, there's just an enormous amount of data in <laughs> all sorts of strange places that we need to wrangle. You know, um, yeah. And then as long as, and then from the data science perspective, as long as we're aligned to either uh, net new opportunities or essentially scaling what people already do, it's easy to make the case for ROI. And as long as the person has faith that you're not just Blown smoke, then um, yeah, I think that's, that's probably, like generically why I think that we're not particularly worried. Um, I'd be most worried, probably, you guys seen in startups or people that sort of did a growth at all cost and they haven't reached that tipping point where they become Uber and Lyft. You know, those are the people who have to worry the most uh, because that sort of capital you guys have seen is drying up.
0: I'd be worried if I was in a company. Uh you know, if the company was, let's say, a developer product company and uh mm-hmm. most of the people on their staff were salespeople. I think that would be a scary situation to be in. <laughs> uh that that'd be one situation where I, I'd worry. Um because like this like uh, that kind of goes back to what Rashad was saying about growth at all costs. That's kind of what what those type of companies I think uh are, are in. But uh, I guess what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, let's go to Vin. If, if you're at oh, one of these growth at all cost companies, and oh, how do, first of all, how do you tell if you're in a growth at all, all, all cost company?
2: Um, you, you've got to balance. There's a, the way that they're investing, are they bringing people in at a loss or are they focusing on monetizing the people that they already have? And that's going to be the thing that'll tell you which way that you're going. If they're investing in new ways to monetize the people that they have, the customers that they have or subscriptions or whatever, that's where, you know, they've, they've made the switch between growth at all costs to profitability. Whereas if, you know, they don't care if they're taking a loss on every acquisition. Yeah. That's a growth at all costs.
0: All right. Um, any other questions or,
1: or follow ups? All right. So I don't know, man. Like,
0: I, I saw this article. Well, I read the headline of it. I didn't read the entire article, but, but it was, uh, I think it was something along the lines that uh, uh, Sundar Pichai and Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, think that employees in tech spend too much time chilling and not enough time working? Have you guys seen this headline of this article? Anyone? No. Uh, I'd love to hear hear just thoughts or opinions to kind of riff off that. Are people in tech spending too much time chilling, not enough time working? Makiko, um, go for it.
4: I mean, whose fault is it if that's the case, right? Like, I mean, I mean, realistically, like if you're this is something I kind of struggle with because it's like on the one hand, we have a lot of people talking about leadership out in the world, but we don't have a lot of people like practicing it like good leadership and management. And I'm constant, constantly reminded by this, like whenever I hear stories of like, you know, everyone's heard stories, right, like of their friends or family at companies. And I feel like there's a couple reasons why, like, for example, engineers might not be working. One is because they don't want to deal with like the business side. Sometimes the business side really needs to kind of really clarify like what their priorities are. I think the other, a second thing though, and this is on the engineer's faults, is a lot of times like engineers or data science or whatnot, sometimes we're just really comfortable with just building stuff. And we're like, you know what? We just want to go build stuff. We don't want to, we don't want to pollute the purity of development by like adding dollars and money into the mix. And I kind of hear this from like some creative people. They're like, well, we don't want to pollute our art. It's like, well, but at the same time, you like watching Mad Men, which is about advertising. So, <laughs> you know, so things like that. Um, but also, too, like, I think at the end of the day, like, and Vin had an article about this, too, that I really loved. I think it was uh, Monday. Basically, it was about, like, uh, performance management on teams. I, I mean, you're, you can do a way better job summarizing. But it resonates to me because I was like, there's various points in time where, In my career, I was definitely very underemployed, and I was super bored, which means I was going to hop ship um, at any point, or I was really burned out. And you look at the rest of the team, it's like not everyone is either, everyone everyone is also burned out, or you're just seeing like distinctly some people's workloads are a lot worse than others, and they're kind of not being given um, the mentorship to improve. So I'm kind of like, I don't know, Zuckerberg, and pinchar and all that, it's leadership comes from, you know, top down and like, you know, empowerment comes from like bottom up. Right. So you need to kind of lead and empower your teams to like go on and take on those new opportunities. Cause I mean, for some people, they like to just check in, check out like a huge salary and that's fine. They exist. It's cool. Right. Um, But there's probably a lot more people who wish they were genuinely, um, you know, engaged in their work, for whom, like, to put any effort into something is putting their heart and soul. And for those people, I think they are not always being well served by kind of the lackadaisical emphasis on, like, management, on, like, true management and, like, leadership. But anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox. I really love that blog post, Finn. It was great.
0: Ben, can you uh, talk about that blog post real quick?
2: Yeah, a little bit of it was just talking about how you can how you can help people at different stages in their career, because not everybody's a high performer. Not everybody is always not everybody who is a high performer will always be a high performer. And so, part of the process and of leadership is figuring out where people are and just helping them improve. In some cases, you're managing a low performer and it's not about where they are right now. It's about what can I do to get them to a better place? How much can I improve this person in one year? What kind of plan can I put together to get this person to improve and to get this person out of whatever, you know, what's going on? I don't, I'm not going to ask you like personal questions and i'm not going to try to address core issues of what's going on outside of life but you know in my mind i'm saying okay what could be going on with this human not with this resource but with this human in front of me who's asking me you know just by their poor performance they're asking me to help that's that's what it really is if they're not performing as well as they used to or as well as i know they could be that's somebody saying help me out And so it's about building a plan and will they follow it? You know, because if they're not following the plan to improve, that's when you have to say, okay, look, I've done the work of a leader. You haven't done the work of an employee. It's time, you know, it's time for some tough choices here. And so that's what the way I take, you know, look at low performers is this is a huge opportunity for me to improve the entire productivity of the team with just one person. This person going from low performer to just mid is such a huge difference that I should be spending my time here. But only if, you know, we put a plan together, they agree with it, they agree to it, and then they give up on it. Okay, that's, you know, if you're not working with it, yes, I'm gonna work with you as long as you will. But just understanding everybody's at a different place. High performers need ways to improve too. I better give you an improvement plan. I better give you a career path quick or you're gone. I better find some interesting stuff for you to be doing or you're gone. And so that's another area where you have to, as a leader, put a lot of work into and create a performance. It's the same same approach. I mean, leading a low performer and a high performer is exactly the same approach. I better put a plan in place and you're agreeing to it for a completely different reason. It's because that's basically my retention strategy to make sure you don't go someplace is I've gotta put a plan in place. And the only way I keep you following me is if I can make you better. If I can figure out a way, if I can find resources, if I can put you in front of interesting projects, if I can get you more challenged, if I can give you access to stuff, whatever it is, that's going to put you into the direction you wanna go and make you better. And so uh, if I don't do that to the low performer, they're gonna be on the team forever. And they're never going to get any better if I don't do it with a high performer. They're not going to be there much longer. <laughs> they're never going to get better. So, yeah, it's kind of two sides. And, you know, to your original question about work, I, I cannot tell you, I spend a lot of time with CEOs. I can't tell you how much they hate you guys. I cannot even explain to you right now the level of I don't like that's going on. At the sea level, I just, I cannot explain it to you. They hate y'all. And it's just, you know, half of its perception, half of the time when I actually take somebody down and say, well, why don't you sit down and talk with these people? It, you know, half of its perception. But the other half is there is a management mentality and there is a newer version of what it means to work. And the management mentality doesn't, can't figure it out. It's happened so fast that the way every leader at the C-level has been trained to run an organization is busted. And they absolutely, they're in chaos right now in some companies as far as what do they do with management? There are companies that are talking about getting rid of an entire middle layer of management because they don't need them. You know, and that's got the C-suite saying, okay, who's next? Because they have boards who are basically saying, look, adapt or die. And a lot of the adapt is being driven by employees who they can't replace. They can't replace any of you at all. There's no way. There's not enough people. They can't lay you off even though there are definitely companies that are going to and shoot themselves in the foot in the process, but they can't really, they don't have the bargaining power that they used to, to bring everyone back to the old management paradigm. And so you are, I cannot even tell you how much stress is at that top level, just having to do with not only talent management, which is organizational structure and the future of management and leadership the amount of money they're spending on seminars and training to try to understand the new workforce and the future of work and the new remote worker, understanding your millennials and all, just the dumbest things you've ever seen titles of seminars and they're selling out. And it's because right now the C-suite can't handle you guys. They just 100%, they don't know what to do with this new type of organization. And there's this sort of bifurcation where you have know, people like um, Chipek, who's running Disney. He knows how to handle creatives. He knows how to handle advanced R&D. He knows how to work with and to get people to do that combination where they still fit into the old paradigm, but they're beginning to incorporate slowly the new paradigm of work. And They're retraining leadership and they're bringing new people in and new ideas in and they're killing it. And so there is this, this new sort of ceo that's emerging who's able to handle it and management manage it better and, and so th- that's even scaring the old school even more. it's, it's like just I, I wish i could be specific about some of the things i've heard but oh th- things going to happen soon
0: what is it about us
2: <laughs> is it just the
0: is it is it because I- are we a threat do we uncover uglinesses in the business do we ask too many questions like what what is it about about us and by us i'm I'm assuming you mean like data professionals at large
2: yes Yes. just everything (laughs) there's uh you know and and makiko does this really well she asks blunt questions and expects answers whereas previous generations would ask blunt questions and then back down and so that's the change That is literally the shift in mindset is that now, and that, you know, it's kind of my generation and younger who are all doing kind of the same thing and we're emboldening each other because one of us sees, oh, there's five people doing, yeah, I can do that too now. And all of a sudden it's an entire organization who is asking blunt questions and expecting answers. And now you have this data group who goes, yeah, I can get you an answer. What do you need? and all of a sudden it's coming together at the same time as you have this sort of business cultural movement happening too where workers have more power than they really have at any time since the 80s because there's just not enough of you know any sort of technical talent and there's a lot of technical talent that's just leaving technology because they're tired of it that's the other piece of this that's happening is you have people who are leaving technology and going into either retirement early, like a lot of people my age are talking retirement. I'm thinking, wow, okay, that's a that's a huge shift. And you also have obviously the older generations than mine who are like, how do I get out? We're taking their massive stock and going, we can sell this, I'm at the top, I'm good, I'm out. And so there is a huge shortage, it's not going anywhere. There's no interest in the high school ranks. And I figured this out over the last year. None of them want to go into technology. There's just such a small percentage of people in high school who you know want to go into technology, period, let alone data science. And so all of those dynamics are happening at the same time. And that's what leadership hates, is we've created uncertainty, we've created rapid change, and we have bargaining power. And so there isn't a power dynamic that can be exploited to slow the change down. And that's, that's what they hate is we are creating a level of uncertainty in the operations of the business. And we are increasing costs and demanding a different type of leadership style that some CEOs are eating up. They are loving it because that's what they've really wanted to move the organization towards is how do we really optimize? How do we really make things better? Yes, how do we actually get these fresh ideas? And so there is a small percentage of CEOs that are loving this, but it is the overwhelming majority who absolutely hate this and who are, and it is for some strange reason, everything is directed straight at what they call the San Francisco mentality or the Silicon Valley mentality and those tech workers and those millennials. I mean, it's like all labels. If you ask people what those actually mean, they're like, well, you know, and they don't no, it's just you know we got we got four boogeyman and four you know, straw man and everything else uh
1: auntie, let's hear from you, man unless that was a uh accidental hand raise
0: all right, I'm just gonna assume that was an accidental hand raise auntie um any other uh uh questions or comments um rashad says he hates the word resource why is
1: that it just it sounds so dehumanizing in my organization and most places i've been the vast majority of times they're talking about getting people to do something they use the word resource in it uh i always hated it. it's that usage of it i figure resources are technologies processes but i don't like referring to people as resources like oh we need we need more resources, and also, it. Um, I'm a fan of squad-based sort of organizing, where you have uh, cross-functional teams that face customers or clients or whatever, and they sort of develop our relationship together. So instead of giving people or resources or 10% of X and 20% of Y on the project, it's much better, I think, to have squads. You know. Um, Otherwise, you get a lot of information loss. So, I feel like not only is resource dehumanizing, but I also think it uh, encourages a sort of let's, we need X skills. So, let's get X person. And then what happens is that, you know, it's hard to establish ownership uh, in larger organizations around certain types of deliverables, certain processes, something that we're dealing with now. Uh, So, we're trying to fix that. My boss is, but um, yeah, it's multiple reasons.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, any other questions or comments from anyone, please do let me out. Otherwise we can uh, start to wind it down. Um, if you guys have not already, be sure to check out the, uh, it's on YouTube right now and it's on my LinkedIn. Uh did a interview with uh couple of folks from tonic ai they're the fake data company that will be released at some point in the future um, on the actual podcast uh, the plan now is just to create again a backlog of podcast episodes um and then release those kind of you know how i did on weekly cadence um, i've had a lot of people i've had to catch up with that uh, had a ton of interviews scheduled uh prior to the office being flooded that i had to cancel uh so there's a lot to record so i'll be busy uh i might just i might do something where uh, i just continue the happy hours for the next i guess i'll just continue happy hours until the the end of the year build up a stack of episodes and then this you know kind of release them all starting in uh in in january um just to give myself a, a buffer again um but yeah if you guys if you're interested in coming on the podcast uh send me a message. Let me know. Uh, if you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, let me know. Um, the episode I did with uh, Tonic AI was a sponsored episode. Um, so if you liked that and if you're a founder uh, or, you know, if you're, you, you know, just trying to spread the word about your product, uh, hit me up. I'm happy to have you on the podcast and uh, we'll, we'll chat about what you got. Um, but yeah, if you know people who are uh, who are cool, who might want to come on the podcast, let me know. Um, I should uh, just announce now that there's going to be another podcast coming up, uh, one specifically focused on deep learning, uh, and that'll be at some point later this year. Um, that'll be a podcast that's uh, done through uh, my work at Desi AI. So the Arts of data science will still remain what it is. It, it's you know it's not really like a technical podcast. Like if you guys want a day in the life of a data scientist, you can always tune into Daliana's podcast or or john crone's podcast uh mine is always kind of a little bit different um but the deep learning podcast i'm extremely uh excited about launching that so definitely um keep an eye out for that in the near future um all right y'all does not look like there's any other questions or comments i think i did a good job killing time until then thank you all for being here uh feels good to be back in the uh in the office i'll give you guys a quick quick tour of what it looks like around here um there's a couple other things i gotta get on the list i gotta get another proper camera and, and all that but uh here, here's a quick tour of the of the office that's where i sit down that's my little office that's uh not my little office, my little couch that's my lights uh and that's it that is pretty much it man uh so thank you all for being here uh if you're listening on the podcast and wondering what it looks like then go to youtube and check that out y'all take care have a good weekend i'll see you around remember my friends you got one life on this planet why not try to do some big cheers everyone